The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 205 years ago today, on February 12th, 1809, Abraham Lincoln was born. Today, we'll take your questions. Did Lincoln own slaves? What was Lincoln's middle name? Anything you want to know about our 16th president? And anything perhaps more than you want to know? That's our show today on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you this week from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Street in Greenville, North Carolina, not from the campus of East Carolina University. We're closed because of of the weather once again, as has been the case several times this winter of 2014. Uh, So, although not, uh, although still Working for the university, not speaking for the university, and normally I tell you our guest won't be speaking for the university either, but tonight uh, no guest is planned. It'll just just be you and me, the listeners, and myself talking about Abraham Lincoln on the occasion of his 205th birth anniversary, February 12th, 2014. 
it's a uh, originally we did have a guest today who was going to talk about Lincoln that was Jared Peatman who has a new book on the Gettysburg Address but he too was subject to the weather that has befallen much of uh, the United States this uh, this week and was unable to make a plane connection in time or more accurately had to make an early plane connection in order to get in the air to beat the weather and so he's unable to be with us today. He's rescheduled, though, for March 19th, so we'll have him on shortly. And indeed, we have a lot of good shows coming up in the weeks ahead. Uh, Next week, and this is all, of course, weather permitting, uh, Richard Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power, will be with us to uh, share an English perspective on Abraham Lincoln. Uh, The following week, Mike Cobb will be with us to talk about the Battle of Big Bethel in Virginia. We'll continue uh, with a military theme of sorts. Richard Slotkin will join us to discuss his new book on the long road to Antietam. And then we will take a, a week off. Spring break will be upon us here at East Carolina University. Perhaps wherever you are, it'll be time for a, a vacation to Uh, at least take a day or two away from the cold weather. Uh, I'm not planning to uh, go anywhere warm, but but we'll we'll take a week off from the show. We'll come back on March 19th with Jared Peatman, who was originally to have been our guest this evening. And then we've got guests lined up for uh, the the month that follows. On uh, March 26th, Ray Catherine Amy will join us to talk about Abraham Lincoln in the kitchen. She has written a, I won't call it a cookbook, that would be inaccurate, a historical cookbook, but has looked into uh, food in Lincoln's time. She's a food historian and will have a different view of uh, Lincoln and his world. Back to the Civil War, it's not Abraham Lincoln talk radio, but Civil War talk radio. So on April 2nd, Robert Girardi joins us to talk about the Civil War Generals a book that he has written that features the Civil War generals talking about one another. On April 9th, it'll be Corey Recco with a book called A Spy for the Union. And the title gives us a clue. We'll learn more when he joins us. April 16th, it's Robert Connor and his new biography of General Gordon Granger. On April 23rd, James Conroy has written a brand new book on the Hampton Roads Peace Conference of 1865, uh, a topic that no one has written a book-length study of uh, to date, although it features prominently in the movie Lincoln. We'll learn more about that. And wrapping up the month of April, uh, Catherine Meyer will be with us. She's the author of Nature's Civil War. It's a look at the effects of the Civil War on the environment, a new way to uh, consider what happened in 1861 to 1865. So all of these things can be uh, followed at the website www.impedimentsofwar.org where Mark Gaffney keeps things up to date for us, tells us what's happening. Uh, I haven't sent him all of these names yet, so uh, it may be another day or two until we get fully caught up. Uh, on the website, but we'll get those to you, and uh, I'll get those to him, and he'll get them out to you, so you can keep an eye on what's coming up on the show. 
You can also find out by looking at the Impediments of War Facebook page, which again has links to the website and to past shows and uh, uh, suggestions about who's coming up next. And of course, also on the Impediments of War page, never to be forgotten, are the uh, all-important PayPal donation buttons. You can click on one of those and send your hard-earned dollars to me here at civilwartr at aol.com. And those funds could be used for anything, really. Uh, typically, they go for books for the show, uh, but they could be used to upgrade from a more to a more contemporary email address than aol.com, although I'm sentimentally attached to that one. Uh, could be used for anything. Could be used, as I pointed out last week, for my uh, younger daughter's college education. The uh, votes are coming in. Still haven't decided which school she will go to. She's not yet aware that I put this up to you for a vote uh, and that she will be attending the school chosen by Civil War talk radio listeners rather than the one she's most interested in. But it only seems fair. Uh, so, among the places uh, she's uh, applied to and, and gotten uh, a favorable result so far, we've got uh, the University of Michigan, we've got Miami of Ohio, we've got Tulane University, uh, got North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and a few more yet to be, uh, uh, yet to respond. So if you have a favorite among those and ten or $15,000 to spare to help us with the tuition at any of those fine schools, please feel free to uh, send your opinions and, and cash this way. Uh, assuming that doesn't work out, we'll be looking for other scholarships and uh, part-time jobs, and we'll make this work. Well, tonight, uh, the plan, as uh, mentioned a moment ago, originally was to talk to Jared Peatman about uh, his new book on the civil, uh, on the, the Gettysburg Address in particular. That was to follow uh, last week's show, in which Martin Johnson talked about the Gettysburg Address. In today's email. I learned that Martin Johnson uh, has won, in conjunction with Alan Gelzo, this year's Lincoln Prize, awarded uh, by the Lincoln by the Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. Uh, it's not infrequent to have a joint uh, sharing of the prize, and this year Martin Johnson, for his fine book on the Gettysburg Address, and Alan Gelzo's uh, very uh, uh, popular and somewhat controversial book on Gettysburg, The Last Invasion, are sharing the prize. The perceptive listeners will recall, of course, that uh, Alan uh, teaches at Gettysburg College. He does not direct Civil War Institute. That's Peter Carmichael who does that. And I am fairly confident that Alan did not serve on this year's prize committee, that it is not the equivalent of the, the old Monty Python sketch where the burglars at the English... Uh, a public school dinner uh, sees all the trophies and award them to themselves one at a time. No one has applied for the Latin Prize, so it goes in my sack. Uh, nothing like that is happening. Uh, Alan did not award himself the prize, obviously. Uh, the, the book is a fine book. But it's good to see uh, two people from the Civil War talk radio uh, collection of past guests winning. Uh, all the, the, the more unfortunate we could not get Alan here uh, as scheduled a few weeks ago, 
Uh, possibly we'll be able to do something in the future about that. Uh, but we did have Martin Johnson last week, and uh, perhaps it's a good omen that one of our guests in the weeks ahead will win next year's Lincoln Prize. So, without guests, uh, the thought tonight was to take your calls, invite you to let me know what uh, you might be interested in regarding the history of Abraham Lincoln, uh, the history of the Civil War, for that matter. Any question is fair game. It would not be surprising if the number of callers were small, vanishing even, given that we've never done this format before, and uh, people perhaps even now are scrambling to think, uh, <clears throat> uh, should I call? Or more likely, most of you are listening to this uh, as a recording, not listening live, so you're not able to call. If you're listening as a recording and you attempt to call uh, into World Talk Radio, that, uh, needless to say, will not, will not do. Uh, let's take a moment here and find out the phone number that one ought to call. That would probably be a useful thing to share with you. Uh, it is on the website, on the... Uh, uh, the the page uh, on the Facebook page, and I'm just taking a minute here to see if I can figure out what it is. Let's see who we've talked to most recently, and who would have that information. Um, well, that page doesn't have it. Uh, perhaps uh, let me ask our uh, engineer at uh, the station to put that up on the instant message and remind me what the phone number is, and then I'll tell you what it is. Uh, and uh, you can call in. But while we're waiting for that, uh, I will start with a question that was sent to me by email uh, over the last few weeks. had a sort of exchange with a, uh, a student at an international school who was inquiring about the Battle of Gettysburg and asking my opinion on uh, why the North won this battle. This uh, I, I initially thought of writing a reply and started to draft something, and I realized I would soon be writing a, a chapter, uh, if not a book, if I were to express everything about it. And I, I could share my opinion with you this evening, indeed, for 45 minutes uh, about that one question. But instead, I will back away and suggest that that is the kind of question uh, that one often hears at a, a, a certain level of, uh, of, of interest in Civil War topics. Uh, a, at, its, at its worst, it can be a Monday morning quarterbacking sort of question. Uh, the implication is that a battle like Gettysburg is a, uh, a great uh, contest, uh, a, uh, almost a game only played with real lives, uh, in which the two two sides are uh, maneuvered against one another like, like pieces on a chessboard, and the most skillful player is the one who wins. And uh, often enough, people look for that kind of answer to questions like that. Uh, if uh, Lee had only followed Longstreet's advice and gone around the Union left flank on the second day, or if... Uh, Lee's generals have been more aggressive at the end of the first day and seized Cemetery Hill. It's all a matter of the individual will, a single general making a decision. Uh, 
I'm personally not persuaded by most of those arguments. Uh, the reason being that if you look at Civil War battles, you find they fall almost always into the same pattern. One side launches an attack, gains an initial success, seems on the verge of breaking through, and then is defeated, slowed down almost miraculously by uh, some combination of uh, incredible bravery and favorable terrain at uh, the hornet's nest at Shiloh or at uh, Little Round Top with the 20th Maine at Gettysburg or the Round Forest at Stones River uh, or uh, one can go on and on. Uh, there's always some place where the attack runs out of steam uh, after almost breaking through and then the attacker falls back and the defender pushes them away but is too exhausted from the battle to pursue. Uh, Gettysburg certainly falls into that uh, th that paradigm. And my thought is that if it happens so many times, then it's the paradigm itself is where the answer is found. It's not the coincidence each time that there just happened to be someone like Joshua Chamberlain at Little Round Top, uh, that there just happened to be someone in the right place uh, at the right time to to stop the enemy from breaking through and destroying the defending army at every battle. If that's not, rather, it's 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 the norm. That's go, that's what happens regularly. And thus, instead of looking for the answers in specific actions at specific battles, we'd be better off looking at what systematizes Civil War battles. Why do they come out the way they do? Is it technology? Is it uh, organizational factors? Is it psychological? Is it cultural? Uh, these are all ways of exploring it. This is what I tried to look at in uh, All for the Regiment, my history of the Army of the Ohio, and what I hope to get back to in a, a future book in more detail. Well, we'll take a short break here. We'll come back, take some of your questions about Abraham Lincoln or the Civil War or uh, indeed any topic at all. We haven't spent nearly enough time talking about the academic politics of East Carolina University this evening. I can certainly uh, share my views with you on that for 30 or 40 minutes. But better still would be to keep it in the 19th century. Uh, give me your calls, uh, and uh, I'll find out that phone number and share it for you when we come back. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. As the announcer pointed out, you can send questions for tonight's show as we are live and taking questions for the first time in the history of Civil War Talk Radio uh, to the email address you heard. It's my last name and first initial at ecu.edu. You can also uh, call them in as well, and that number, which uh, I imagine uh, uh, at least one or two listeners are thinking, great call-in show, what's the dang number? It's 866-472-5787, and resourceful listener Brian in New York has figured out that number before I said it and uh, joins us with a question. Uh, Brian, are you there? Yeah, hi, Jerry. It's uh, Brian. Um, do you have any uh, opinion or insight into how the Civil War was taught in, say, middle and uh, high school to keep people interested or get people who are ambivalent about history interested in the Civil War? Uh, good question. I, I, from personal experience, for either my own or my two daughters as they went through middle school and high school, uh, it seems to me it's entirely up to the teacher uh, that... Uh, there are those of us who are who have the bug, who are interested in the topic. Uh, if 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 you have a child who's fortunate enough to have a teacher who is that way, uh, they're going to get students interested, and they will use all kinds of techniques. I've, I've, uh, we had um, uh, 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 who was it? Uh, James Prococo was on the show a, a few years ago, who teaches high school. 
Uh, we've had other high school teachers uh, on, or I've talked to them, who use all kinds of uh, more out-of-the-box ideas to get their students involved. Uh, Mike Priest was on not too long ago. He's a, a retired high school teacher who uh, sets up miniature uh, battles with, with toy soldiers in the classroom and gets students engaged uh, through hands-on activities. Uh, uh, Jim Prococo takes his students to historic sites and gets them involved. It really does depend on the individual teacher more than, than the curriculum as such. The, the textbooks in any middle school or high school class or college class for that matter that I've ever encountered are, are, are tedious and, and uh, written to avoid offending uh, and, and to just inform of basic facts. So uh, it, it's not something that can be solved systematically, but uh, it really depends on the individual. Have you had uh, experience with, with good teachers in your past? I did. I, I didn't go into the history field, but I, in my high school, I had a history class that got very uh, motivated for all American history, and my own personal preference ended up being the Civil War. Well, that, that's, uh, that's what does it, I think. It, it, it is the teacher, and, and I would guess most of us listening can think of some teacher who had a formative uh, uh, effect on, on all of us at some point uh, by... Uh, just by taking a particular interest in, in a student or, uh, or sharing his particular interest in, uh, uh, you know, in, in the Civil War and, and, and communicating it, communicating the enthusiasm uh, that does it. Uh, so thank you very much for the question. It's a good All right. One. Thank you, Jerry. Good night. The, the, the notion of, of how we get interested is, is one that I've asked li- uh, guests over the years, and one thing that has stood out is if you had to pick one book, uh, long-time listeners will already know what it is, uh, Bruce Patton's Centennial History of the Civil War. Uh, that, for me, was one of the, the things that got me going. Uh, I was slightly post-Centennial, born 1958, so I was a little young when the Centennial itself was happening, but that book came out when I was, uh, so when I was in elementary and middle school, bringing it home from the school library, this huge, heavy uh, book, weighed half as much as I did, and had those absolutely marvelous bird's-eye view maps of Civil War battles uh, pictured, I I later realized in scale, that there weren't 50 men in Pickett's Charge, there were 7,000, but tiny drawings of 50 men instead of a, a big red arrow labeled Pickett made it so much more real. You could, you could imagine and get a, a human scale sense of these, what these battles were like. Uh, and that book just completely drew me in and uh, uh, borrowed it many times, both the, the full-size version and there was also a version for young readers, I, I recall seeing as well. However many times I read it, I, it was always the, the flavor, the spirit, the illustrations not the facts. I, I can remember thinking, Chattanooga, Chickamauga, I can't keep these straight, but I would still turn and look at the pictures and uh, admire the, uh, the, the, the prose, the beautiful writing, and, and just get swept up in it, even if I didn't necessarily track every fact that I was absorbing. I was thinking about this recently because another book from that era that influenced me greatly and I think influenced 
possibly a fair number of you listening, was Arms and Equipment of the Civil War by Jack Coggins. Uh, unlike the centennial volume, it's not uh, uh, colorful. It, it's illustrated in black and white uh, sketches and drawings and diagrams by the author. But it presented the war in a very different way. It gave facts uh, in, in perhaps, as I look at it now, maybe uh, overly cut and dried fashion. If you wanted to know how a cavalry charge worked, how many yards uh, uh, a company of horsemen covered per minute compared to how long it took to load uh, and fire an Enfield musket at what range, that information was in there. If you wanted to know what each of the uh, different numbered men of a Napoleon, 12-pound Napoleon gun did to load and fire the gun. That diagram was in there, too. And there were chapters on the infantry, the cavalry, the artillery. It was the nuts and bolts. If you wanted to take your Lewis Marx toy soldiers, uh, the blue and gray set or the centennial uh, set that your parents had gotten you for your uh, birthday, as perhaps I did, if you wanted to set them up accurately, here's a book that tells you what a formation looked like. Here's what the cannon crew did. It was a, a wonderful book for that purpose, and I, I borrowed the library's copy of that many, many times, and eventually, uh, years later, uh, was fortunate enough to find a copy to purchase of my own, which I value highly. And I was thinking of it uh, because this past week, I read another book off my shelf by the same author. Uh, apparently, he was thinking of starting a series. The, the next book was called Arms and Equipment of the Guadalcanal Campaign, Second World War, island in the southwest Pacific. Nothing to do with the Civil War, but the same style, the same kind of uh, nuts and bolts diagrams. Uh, and here I was really struck by the text of this book because it was, although the book, the, the, the Guadalcanal campaign book was written, I would say, in the 1970s. Uh, I think, I, I don't recall the exact date, I'll say early, 70s, 71 maybe. It was what, uh, it didn't, it reflected a sensibility of a different era. Uh, the Japanese are routinely referred to for short as the Japs, which even at that time was, was going out of fashion uh, as the hatreds of the war itself were cooling after 20 years. Uh, and today, no serious writer would, would do that. Uh, similarly, it talked a, a bit about uh, the colonization of the Pacific before the war, the British and Singapore and Hong Kong and so on and frequently referred to the white man as opposed to the Asian in a way that reflected a sensibility of an earlier era. And I found it striking that, that this was, that one could see this even in the uh, 1970s. And it made me wonder how much of the books of our youth would read if we went back to them now. How many Civil War books that any of us read uh, in the 70s, 60s, 50s, uh, books written earlier, would look very different to us if read 
from from a, a different viewpoint, not only a personal age difference, but also a uh, uh, a change in the way history is written, a change in, in uh, uh, the social uh, uh, values. I don't know how, how serious that effect would be. I don't know how many books would not hold up well. One Civil War book that didn't hold up particularly well like that, another one that I, I cherish as a young person, was uh, John Thomason, the uh, uh, Marine veteran who wrote a, a fairly well-known book about the Marines in World War One, Fixed Bayonets, also wrote The Star, uh, Lone Star Preacher. Lone Star Preacher was a fiction uh, about a Confederate chaplain from Texas, and some of the chapters were excerpted in Ernest Hemingway's Men at War, which was another quasi-Bible for me in, in middle school. I would hide a copy under my desk, and when the teacher became distracted by other students or more dull than, uh, than normal, I would open it surreptitiously and read one of the short stories uh, of military history that Hemingway had selected. And it is uh, it's still a, a wonderful collection of, of really great military writing over the centuries. And it had a couple stories from Thomason of about this, about Praxiteles the Swan, this Confederate uh, preacher and uh, infantry uh, man from Texas. I loved those stories. I looked in vain for the book they came from. It was a rare book, but in more recent years with the internet allowing everything to be reprinted, I was able to find it and read it. And it wasn't the greatest book ever written after all, as it had been when I was in eighth grade. So, I wonder, I throw this out to you just for your own uh, uh, consideration. Are there a lot of other books like that that you may have read as a young person and now when you come back to them, they don't quite match up? Uh, they, they don't live up to the, the high esteem we once had of them. And how bitter is the disappointment? Is it, is it better to maybe just let those books sit there? One more example in, in that uh, direction, and I've, I've gotten uh, away from Lincoln and on to this, but uh, I often ask uh, guests about their favorite Civil War books, and uh, I'm taking advantage of tonight's opportunity to tell you a little bit about some of mine, at least some of my past favorites. Uh, Bruce Catton was, of course, the, the uncontested uh, king of mid-20th century Civil War authors, and his work, uh, I is again in a idiosyncratic style that is quite different from anything uh, people are writing today. I recall reading the centennial history of the Civil War, not the uh, the one volume American Heritage, but the actual trilogy. I think for the first time as a, a senior in college, working on my senior thesis, and finding it kind of uh, peculiar in some ways. The entire first volume doesn't even get you up to Fort Sumter. I'm thinking we've got a lot of war to cover and, and when are they going to start shooting? But as you keep going through it and getting into the the politics that lead up to the war, written in Catton's inimitable style, uh, it becomes absorbing. I 
later reread the trilogy when I was a, a lawyer, and I think I would have read the phone book rather than spend too many more days practicing law at one point. Uh, but I recall thinking it's time to reread this now and reading it on lunch hours. It Canton's style was was for me then, and I, I think still is like a uh, a rich dessert. Uh, so rich that it's off-putting at first, and it takes some getting used to. And you, you after a bite, you even wonder, uh, three pages in, seriously, this, nobody talks this way, nobody writes this way. Uh, I don't know if I can handle this, but I'll read a few more pages, and then a few more. And then you get used to it, you get acclimated, you become accustomed to the uh, the, the special prose of, uh, of of this particular author, and then you just can't stop, and it becomes uh, you're sorry. There's only three volumes, and not eight like Alan Nevins wrote. Uh, although of course Catton wrote other books as well, but his his trilogy of the Army of the Potomac is the same way. Uh, it takes some getting used to, but once you get into it, it is really uh, irresistible and uh, absolutely compels uh, 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 compels one's attention. Uh, now, I'm looking online and seeing uh, uh, a message here uh, asking in this vein, uh, what about last, what about more recent Civil War books? Uh, uh, what, what was uh, my favorite book uh, from the past year of Civil War writing? And uh, it's a good question. I, I have to stop and think, uh, what did I particularly enjoy last year? Uh, what I'll do is what I do with guests so often is I'll stop here and take a break so I can think about it and remember, uh, get, get some quick idea of some of the things that came out in the past year and share my thoughts on that with you. If you have thoughts to share, uh, please give a call at 866-472-5787. Uh, if you're one of the uh, the brave, the few who listen live, you can do that. If you're listening uh, to this as a recording, it's too late. But uh, save up your questions, uh, send them by email. We'll do this again sometime. Uh, in the meantime, it's time for a short break. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. And I'm talking today with you. We have no guest on the show today. This is a first, uh, or close to it, in the 10 years of Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, our, <coughs> excuse me, our scheduled guest was uh, forced by the inclement weather around the country to change his travel plans and couldn't be with us. Uh, that's Jared Peatman, and he'll join us uh, next week, uh, not next week, next month, on March 19th, and uh, look forward to having him uh, uh, with us there. Uh, we've got other guests as well lined up, all mentioned on the impedimentsofwar.org website. I should say, uh, also in answer to some uh, kind uh, comments received over the week, uh, that one person who is listening live to the show and uh, uh, refraining from calling in uh, uh, for is uh, the show's number one fan, my mother, listening uh, from uh, Michigan, where uh, the weather has been extremely dreadful all winter and uh, where she suffered a broken wrist recently, but is doing well, is uh, uh, keeping her spirits up despite the, the bad weather, recovering, uh, watching a lot of the Olympics and, and hanging in there. So, Mom, I hope you are uh, feeling better tonight, and uh, uh, we certainly always thinking about how you're doing. Well, as we left, uh, a question came in by email asking about more recent Civil War books. What uh, uh, what book of the last year would I recommend, uh, or what was my favorite book? Is the way it was put, and that's a better question because uh, we all have our own tastes. It's, uh, I, I now see what a tough spot that puts my guests in when I ask them because there are so many uh, possible choices. I would say the book that I find myself thinking about the most uh, is, is James Oakes's book, Freedom National, uh, The Destruction of Slavery in the United States, which makes the argument that the destruction of slavery was inherent in the northern cause from the beginning of the war. He challenges the standard paradigm that the North went to war to save the Union and only gradually adopted emancipation. Uh, both Lincoln and the North 
northern public in general, as it became necessary as a war aim. Uh, Oakes makes the argument that at least for the Republicans in the North, and in the North they're not a, a small minority, they're uh, a large minority, if not a majority in many places, that for them uh, emancipation was part of the program from the very start. And he uncovers some really remarkable bits of evidence. Uh, I, his argument has not carried the, the entire field. There are many people who don't agree with it. But his presentation is is, is uh, intriguing uh, at a minimum, if not uh, uh, universally persuasive yet, and and absolutely worth reading and thinking about. It's books like that that take what we thought we knew and challenge it, not in a way that. Uh, that denigrates the old school, not in a conspiracy style way, now the truth can be told kind of style. Uh, whenever whenever I see the words true story on the cover of a book, as in you know, the true story of what happened at Gettysburg, I'm, I'm immediately put on my guard uh, because the implication is everyone else has been lying or everyone else is a, a fool and this author is the only one who knows. That's, that's rarely the sign of a, a a useful volume. Uh, Oakes is not making that kind of argument by any means, but is, is simply looking, uh, as, as a good historian will do, at a uh, uh, something in the past and making a new, uh, uh, finding a new way to look at it, a new interpretation of it. Uh, so, highly recommended. Um, another uh, Another one from the, from the past year, I, I don't recall the date of publication, but as I think of uh, shows over the past year, uh, not to uh, uh, play favorites among, uh, uh, among shows, as, as it were, I thought the book on, well, now I'll say this, it, it was not necessarily a, a favorite book of the year, but a book I was really impressed by was the book on the Battle of Franklin, because so many battle books run off the rails in so many different ways, or so many similar ways. Uh, becoming bogged down in detail is one. Becoming enthralled with the, uh, the story of the, the battle as a battle and forgetting the human cost. Or conversely, dwelling on the human cost in an almost voyeuristic and gleeful way that... Uh, it makes you wonder what the author's point is. And this book seemed to avoid all those pitfalls in one way or another. It, it just got around them and told the story of the battle in an interesting way that didn't lose sight of the human element. Uh, it was, uh, in that sense, that was one of my favorites uh, of this past year. But as always, there have been a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of good books uh, published. New ones come out all the time that are worth reading. I, I also enjoyed the, uh, the Second Battle of Chancellorsville as a, uh, as a battle book for many of the same reasons. Uh, it's, it's almost easier to talk about books I don't like because there are so few of them. I, I rarely will ask anyone to be on the show if, I, if I'm unlikely to uh, enjoy their, their work if I don't find it worthwhile for 
you, the listener, to, to hear about it or, or worth my time to read. And there are some styles of books. Uh, the, the pot boiler that uh, gets us nowhere, that tells us things we already know. Um, well, let's name names. Uh, there was a, a book, and I'm, I'll, I'll spare the author's name, but the title, I believe, was Decided on the Battlefield. And it was about the election of 1864. And to find out what I thought of it, I would just say I, I wrote a review for HNET. Uh, so it's an online review. You can Google that book and HNET or my name and that book title. And, and one way or another, you ought to be able to access online the review of that book. Uh, it was not a good book. It was not well researched. It was not it presented nothing new. Uh, it was it was just a bad book, uh, and so that's somebody. It would have been cruel to both of us to have uh, that author uh, invited to the show. And there are other books uh, that fall into that trap. Uh, there are battle books that go into excruciating detail on who went where at what time during each hour of, of the battle to the point where uh, one has to say, what, what on earth is the point of knowing all this? Uh, it's the equivalent of, of genealogy done badly where uh, you learn all the details of who's related to who, but if they're not your relatives, you find yourself saying, why do I care? Who was whose second cousin? What what does this tell us about the human condition? What does this tell us about uh, society today? Uh, which which a good civil war book will do? So these are all uh, uh, things that I, I find useful or not useful in a book. Another online question is coming in that seems to be the preferred way to reach the show this evening as we. Uh, look around, and we have a Voice America listener inquiring about uh, battlefields or historic sites in need of preservation. Uh, I'm not an expert there. I can't really tell you. Uh, I can instead just share a few sites. Uh, I can tell you a few sites I've seen recently. Uh, it is... D d it's like New Yorkers who don't go to the Empire State Building. Uh, I had never spent any time driving around Kinston, North Carolina. I'd driven through it perhaps 70 times in the last few years, uh, back in the days of uh, the Greenville Stars youth soccer team. Uh, I, I drove through it many times on the way to Jacksonville uh, or uh, Richlands or other places with uh, the girls' team. But recently, I took the opportunity to actually go around to the Civil War Trail marked sites. Uh, nothing spectacular, but just being on the field, even if, if it's now just behind a fast food place or uh, uh, in, in a housing development, just to trace the ground in places where uh, battles of, of Wise Fork and other skirmishes took place, is worth doing. Uh, I had an opportunity also to see the CSS noose uh, 
which uh, the the director of that site was a guest on the show in May, Sarah Risty Davis. Uh, she has since moved on to another position uh, at uh, Tryon Palace, and her replacement is not just a public history person, but a Civil War naval person. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show. Uh, when the the place opens officially, we'll we'll have him back and we'll talk more about the CSS news. But actually getting to see it, it's really impressive. Uh, it's not open to the public yet, but I was able to go backstage, as it were, and see the skeleton of this Confederate ironclad. And in pictures, it looks kind of like eh, timbers, big deal. And when you're on the floor underneath it looking up, it is a big deal. It's, it's really a, a sight to see. So, local sites, I would say, and wherever you are in the country, uh, there's some something related in some way, however distant, to the Civil War. When I go home uh, to the Detroit area, uh, last time I made it a point to stop by historic Fort Wayne, not Fort Wayne, Indiana, but the actual fort out uh, near downtown Detroit, that although not uh, featuring in the Civil War as such, it was a, a pre-Civil War era fort, and uh, let you see uh, today the preserved uh, brick-faced fortifications, the, the third system fortification style. Uh, so there's something there in Detroit that, that helps you learn about the Civil War. Uh, it looks like Fort Pulaski on a much smaller scale. If you go uh, at wherever you are, uh, anywhere in the world for that matter, there may be something nearby worth seeing and, and in that case possibly worth preserving. One exercise I do with my students every year in the, uh, the undergraduate Civil War class is to ask them each to bring in a piece of the Civil War that is uh, some, something uh, that, that relates to the war from their own lives and some of them uh, panic at this thought. They have no idea what I'm talking about. They don't think they have any personal connection to the Civil War. But once the first few students start doing the presentations, we do a couple every day, uh, they begin to realize, oh yeah, uh, I've got something like that. For some, it's obvious. Uh, uh, this very semester, we, we had a student talk about her relatives who were in the Confederate Army and uh, the slaves they owned and how... Uh, uh, typhoid took some of the slaves who were then buried distant from the family out of fear that they would uh, spread the disease. Uh, we've had students talk about having relatives here in eastern North Carolina on both sides, uh, some descendant ancestors fighting from the north, some from the south. And then uh, another student who says when it's his turn, my, I'm the great-grandchild of immigrants, we had no connection to the war. But I served uh, in Iraq. I was in Fallujah. Here are some photographs of me. Here are some photographs of Civil War soldiers. Compare the two. Uh, and, and he used his experience to inform him. Now these Civil War soldiers meant something to him. They didn't mean to those of us who were not veterans. Uh, everyone's got a piece of the war. We have an exchange student from Australia this year who's talking about uh, Australian historical memory and the Aboriginal people there and how that compares to uh, America's experience uh, with Africans. So, it, 
everyone's got a piece of the war somewhere. Uh, and it's worth preserving, uh, whether it's just a story or a, uh, a place to visit uh, or an artifact, a, a sword over the mantle or a document. Uh, and we all uh, benefit when everybody takes time to find that piece of the war that they have and find a way to, uh, to keep it, to preserve it, if possible to share it with a historical society or uh, telling your story to a Civil War Roundtable group. In, in that sense, uh, public history can be uh, uh, everybody's history. You know, we can all not just read it, but all do it, all create it ourselves. Well, I've gone off on a, a public history Civil War sermon there. Uh, that's one of the things, one of the occupational hazards of teaching, I suppose, is we, we tend to uh, get off in that direction. But it has been a... Uh, a interesting variation. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it uh, as much as I have. I promise not to indulge in it again uh, until the next snowstorm uh, derails our plans to have a, a guest here. And, and This winter, that could be next week, but more likely it'll be a few years from now. We will be back next week with Richard Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power. And we will, uh, until then, say as always, Listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.